Welcome to Calming the Chaos Podcast, where we help you find peace in a chaotic world. I'm Tracy Canella, licensed mental health counselor, certified eating disorder specialist, and advanced clinical hypnotherapist. Calming the Chaos Podcast provides you with self-help resources for handling anxiety, stress, and overwhelm. It is not a substitute for counseling or psychotherapy. So if you like what you hear, please subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks for tuning in. And now let the chaos begin. Did you know that bipolar disorder affects 4.4% of adults in the United States? And after four seasons of doing podcasting, I have not interviewed one person with bipolar disorder until today. Today, I have with me Steve Wilson, and he has been in Ohio for most of his life uh, doing retail, and uh, now it lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, and he has written a book called Teetering on a Tightrope, and he explains his journey with bipolar disorder. Steve's going to tell us some stories about his life and about how he learned he has bipolar disorder, and also some interesting stories along the way about treatment and whatever he would like to tell us about his book. And so Steve, again, lives in Scottsdale, Arizona, a place I visited and really liked. And he's been married for 50 years, has three daughters and a couple of grandkids. And so I'm really just super happy to have Steve Wilson with me today to talk about bipolar disorder. Welcome, Steve Wilson, to Calming the Chaos. Thank you, Tracy. Good to be here. Yeah, how did you do on that intro, Steve? Perfect. I look good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, I guess you made yourself look good because you pretty much wrote that intro. So well done, Steve. Oh my gosh. So let's start out by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what. Well, actually, I'll ask you what made you interested in become becoming a guest on my podcast. Well, I wrote a book called Teetering on a Tightrope, My Bipolar Journey, and I used uh, a group called Podmatch, and it's pretty, pretty good. It's impressive. And I read about it, thought it was pretty cool, watched one of your uh, old podcasts, and that's what got me to you. Nice. Yeah. Podmatch. I've been there for four years now and I have not once gotten anybody who has bipolar disorder to contact me. I was so excited to hear from you and to hear about your journey. So what do you want to tell us about yourself that I haven't already covered and your journey with uh, a bipolar disorder? I guess maybe we can start uh, with, with just a little brief background without giving away everything that's in your book, because I know a lot of your stories are in your book. So I just thought I would issue this trigger warning uh, for all of you in the audience who may have little ones listening and podcast is up and running in the background. If you could put some headphones on, some of Steve's stories are uh, pretty fantastic, amazing, and also very challenging to get through. He's been through a lot in his life and he shares some stories with us that are painful and also could trigger uh, some people who are sensitive. And uh, 
I just like to issue a trigger warning for my audience just to keep you safe and uh, take care of yourself. If you think you can handle it, great. If not, then I will not hold it against you if you don't continue to listen. But, but I think it would be beneficial for people to make it through because I think the message actually really makes sense and uh, the message is a really good one at the end. So that being said, let's go back to the interview. Well, uh, you did touch on most everything that's in my life without getting into a long story. But for the first nine or 10 years of my life, I was just a normal kid and energetic. And I had a real passion for movies. And every Saturday, a couple of us would go to our local theater to watch whatever action movies there were on them. And then, and then they would do them in a double feature, not like today. So when the first feature was ending, the curtain would come down and everybody would run up and get popcorn and Coke, whatever. So one day I went up by myself to get popcorn and Coke. And when I went over to get the Coke, some guy put a dime in the machine to buy my Coke for me. And I got the Coke and then he asked me if I'd do him a favor. And he said, you, I need your help in the bathroom. And I had been a, in a camp just before this day, and I was in charge of keeping the restrooms clean. So I thought that's what he wanted, naively. And he walked me down to the restroom, and hell was waiting on the other side of the door. Mm. Without giving away too much, yes, because you talk about that in your book. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really worthy of, of note that if you want to hear the rest of that story, you may want to pick up the book. Um, but that is when you first started noticing that you had bipolar disorder or that you started noticing disturbances in your mood. Disturbances in my mood. It, uh, yeah. it, I had no idea what bipolar was. In fact, at that time, I don't think anybody knew there was a bipolar problem. They always defined it as depression. Mm -hmm. And so in about fourth grade, um, I just lost it. it. I was a top student. And fourth grade hits, we went on a trip to Florida and they gave me a couple weeks out of school, came back. And I felt like the world for me was over. Uh, I was in deep depression. Again, didn't have any idea what that was. And couldn't study. My grades just dropped like a rock. And I felt worthless. And felt that nobody cared about me. And this went on, this feeling went on. All I did was watch TV. And... In those days, a TV screen was about that big. 
So um, and black and white, maybe too, right? <laughs> absolutely <laughs> black and white. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I felt that way for weeks and months. But I had a lot of friends, and I was a pretty good athlete. So I continued in sports, and eventually I got out of it. Now, my family knew, knew nothing about what I was going through, so they never asked anything, and I never told them anything. That was the first time that I knew something was wrong, and I had no idea what it was, because it went away. But it was more than a month that it took for it to go away. Wow. At like 10 years old, 11 years old, when you're in fourth grade, nine or 10 yeah. or 11, something like that. Oh, my goodness. Wow. And back in the 50s, is that when it was? Uh, late 50s. Late 50s. Wow. Uh, were you scared at all when it was happening to you? I was bewildered. I didn't know what the hell was happening. Um, yeah. Say, ask me if I was scared. No, I had no idea what to be scared about. Um, but it was devastating at the time. I had no one to talk to. Mm -hmm. So I gritted my teeth and got through it. Wow. And then it went away. Yeah, it went away for a couple of years. Hmm. So when did you actually get diagnosed with bipolar disorder? Well, um, I first got a psychiatrist in 1971. So wow. all those years, 10 or 12 years, I had bad instances, but got no treatment. The worst of my bipolar was when I was about 20 or 21, 22. And my mother hooked me up with a psychiatrist and he said I was clinically depressed. Um, and that was the label they gave me. And at that time there were a few medications and I tried them all. They all made me sick and we could find nothing to help. When we talk about bipolar disorder, we're talking about disturbances in mood. Yes. And that means so clinical depression being that. And then there's the sort of manic part of it as well, or hypomania, I believe with bipolar two. Yes. And so, so there's that without being triggered, having clinical depression and also having a form of elevation in mood or kind of like you've had one too many cups of coffee. Is that correct? Well, I never experienced mania. I did have hypomania, which meant that I was manic a little bit more than normal, but mostly it was depression. Okay, um, yeah. Wow. And so the medications they gave you, they all made you sick. Mm -hmm. And and so how did you how did you function? What did you do? It was pretty bad. Um, it was real bad for the next seven or eight years. And then mm -hmm. I went 
back. Oh, no, I'd been going to psychiatrists the whole time. And one day in 1978, he said, you know, I may have made a mistake in your diagnosis. I think you have bipolar disorder. Well, bipolar disorder is treated by a total different group of medications than depression. So mm -hmm. he put me on lithium, and in about two days, I felt a whole hell of a lot better. Not, not even close to perfect, but I could function. Mm. So you got onto lithium, and lithium seemed to help. A lot. Great, great. And but the other thing is, is it's a mood stabilizer and it's really super hard on the physical body. So you have to continue to take lab tests to see if your kidneys are all right or if your blood work is good. And so that was back in 1978. I don't know if they knew that then, but we do yes. know it's true now. After taking lithium for 22 years, uh, a doctor found that uh, my creatinine was way out of whack and sent me to a doctor who specialized in kidney disease. And I had dropped from 100% function to 55. And again, that was 2000 or somewhere around in there. So it was apparent that the lithium had damaged my kidney. And they switched the medication to Lamictal and Lamictal took over and it was just as good for my mood as the lithium. Well, a lot of things went away with both the lithium and Lamictal, but the thing that didn't go away was the tremendous, <clears throat> the tremendous chaos in my brain. If I would uh, make a mistake at something and it affected someone, my brain would go out of whack and I'd worry and I'd think about it for weeks and I couldn't, uh, couldn't concentrate on anything else. Mm -hmm. um, that is one of the reasons I lost job after job after job and finally was given a job at my uh, father's men's and women's clothing store. And I was able to do okay there because I was in a safe place. Yeah. They call the, the, the problem with your head spinning around all the time, uh, ruminations mm -hmm. and never I don't have them now, and I'll get into that in a minute. Mm -hmm. But um, the ruminations lasted for another five years. Wow. And they had always been there uh, with me as long as I could remember. That was the worst thing about it. Uh, yeah, they call it they call it ruminating because it, it ruminating is a word meaning chewing, uh, ruminating and so over and over and just kind of chewing things over and over, and for that to last several years is got to be really torturous. Well, you really got to understand that it it 
even after the lithium in 78, it never went away. So it was always there. But I want to go back to something else that I told you the rumination was really bad. The kidney was, was getting bad. And bipolar cause was the desire to kill myself. And it became overwhelming. I'm a swimmer and I would go to swim laps at our county pool and every stroke became something in my head saying, kill yourself, kill yourself, kill yourself. And uh, right after that, I went into the hospital for three weeks and that was back in the early seventies. Um, and that desire to kill myself, which I never attempted, uh, lasted for a while until I got lithium. Wow. Yeah, and that's really super common, especially when you're all, a lot of your major life domains were affected by this condition of bipolar disorder. So you, you mentioned physical health with the kidneys and emotional, obviously that's a, by nature a bipolar disorder. But vocationally too, you know, finding work was really tough and keeping work in the safe place that you had to work. Thankfully that was, that was there. And yeah. Is, it's not what I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I had no desire to go into the clothing business, but for what it's worth, it, it kept me okay. Yeah. And so the emotional part you're just touching on now is the voice in your head telling you to kill yourself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, these days with kids, that's a popular phrase that kids are saying to each other, believe it or not, like you should kill yourself. And uh, I cannot even hardly believe it because it's hard enough to hear it inside of your own head, but to hear it coming from somebody else is really super difficult. So I know you had a good support system around you though, and you were able to deal with that, right? Let me get into the support system. It is very important if you are suffering from mental illness, you need a real strong support system that can, they don't have to try to cure you. They just need to be there, ask you how you're doing, uh, what would you like to do? I didn't have that support system, not in the beginning. Um, my parents didn't pay any attention to me. My brother was in college in North Carolina. And so I had no support system and I couldn't get it from my friends because they had no idea what I was going through. Right. So that's one thing that made this even worse than it had to be. Mm -hmm. Wow. So how did you get through it? Boy, I, I, I swam a lot. I played basketball. Those are the two really main things, plus my wife. I married her in 72, and she was a big, big supporter of me and uh, helped me a bunch. So your support system started pretty much in 1972 with the, your wife that you've been married to for 50 years. Yes. Nice. And well, I'm glad she was there. Yeah, we had three kids, and... Um, 
that was a big plus. Right. Right. Wow. So um, as far as bipolar disorder goes, we've covered most of what it is like to have it or to struggle with it and some of the symptoms and the treatment, of course, being medication. Did you ever go to any counselor or talk therapy or learn any I skills beyond? I don't think in my case that I could have just survived on just medication. I went through therapy for a long time. At the beginning, I went three days a week. And the two together are what saved me. Yeah, because therapy is going to teach you how to recognize some of the, the thoughts that are in your mind that are not helpful. And when you recognize them, be able to question them, challenge them, and connect them to beliefs that may not be actually true. And then be able to change the beliefs into something that's more truthful and helpful. Plus, counseling can do all kinds of things like uh, teach you uh, practical skills for calming down, uh, breathing skills, self-soothing skills, all kind of things that you would need if you're triggered or if you are struggling with some sort of emotion. So yeah. nice. Well, good. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell us about your bipolar journey before we start talking about your, your book? In about 2005, while I was ruminating so badly, uh, I went to a different psychiatrist and he put me on Paxil. And the ruminations almost all went away. I do have a, it does hit me a few times, but boy, it's a thousand percent better. Mm. So at the time he gave me Paxil, I really became normal. And that nice. was like 2005. 2005. Wow. Well, I have to hand it to you. You've always just kind of stuck it through no matter how bad it got. And you found a way to survive all of the chaos in your brain. And uh, to go through life with that sort of struggle and to come out on the other side has really... Uh, something uh, to celebrate. And uh, so congratulations. It's it's really super cool to have you here today. What nice. made you, yeah, what made you want to uh, write a book about it all? Well, for the last seven years, I've been a facilitator for two mental health support groups. Um, and I've seen well over a thousand people in that time. And it really showed me how many people are suffering from bipolar and other mental problems. But what really struck me the most was that this problem is in many cases, and I don't know how many, what the percentage of it happening is, but it's high. Many of the cases are brought on because of sexual or mental or physical abuse. Um, in my groups, I see it all the time. And uh, I got, I've been pretty immersed in 
in the uh, facilitating all these years. And then I started, I had some things I had to go back in my life and resolve. Because one of the things I did forever was not get closure on things. And I went to a trauma therapist and she started me out by going through my life from the earliest memory I had. And we spent several months going through everything. And when I'm in therapy, I'm wide open. I tell them anything, which most people don't. And at the end of the, uh, into my last session, she said, you know, you ought to write a book about this. Mm. So I hadn't planned on it, but I just got intrigued. And I outlined all the things I'd gone through and started writing. It was fairly easy to put it in uh, chronological uh, writing because it was my life. So it took about a year, year and a half to write it. Now that's not working on it every day. That's a couple hours here and a couple hours there. And when I got done, I got it uh, looked into uh, by a company called Reedsy, which if anybody's thinking of uh, self-publishing, you ought to go to them or a company like Nurse Fiverr and get your manuscript edited and then go from there. Uh, but what I didn't realize until a friend of mine who has written books told me was how tough it is to get a book published. The traditional publishers are really hard to work with because they have, they have so many uh, people asking them to publish their book that the small guy like me is relegated to self-publishing. And I was told that the process, either with traditional or self-publishing, was year and a half to two, and it proved to be true. It was a real, it was almost longer journey to get your book published than it is to write it. So anyway, I'm done. I've written it. I went through all the steps to get it published, and it came out Monday on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And congratulations on that for sure. Cause what a lot, as with, it seems to be a theme in your life, it, things take a while to resolve and uh, come through. And it was no exception with, with your book and your journey through bipolar disorder. Right. So, yeah, I wanted to share with you my life domains palm tree. I don't think I shared this with you before, but this is a palm tree that I made up for a book chapter I wrote on eating disorders and how they can affect a lot of different sort of life domains. And as we were talking about your journey, it seems like 
a lot of the, I mean, all of these life domains were affected by your bipolar disorder. So, yeah, we didn't really talk about spirituality. Um, and uh, you said something about relationships. You were really isolated in relationships, but all the other ones were affected, it sounds like. Well, to get to spirituality, um, when I got out of college and started working before I began working at the uh, clothing store, I was uh, working for a company out of uh, Cincinnati that was a wholesale custom clothing company. And I started out training as a salesman on the road. And my bipolar was very bad. I was suicidal and I would, I was living in a hotel downtown Cincinnati and I was so bad that I was desperate to ask God for help. At that time, I was a Christian. I was very much believing in God and Jesus and all the things that go with it. But I was so bad when I was uh, in that hotel that I started looking into the Bible and usually reading the 23rd Psalm night after night after night. And then one day, and I was asking God to help me get through this. Well, he never answered. So one day I just put the Bible away and said, you won't help the world. You won't help me. So goodbye. Hmm. And at that time I became an atheist and I, and I've stayed the same all these years. Hmm. It did affect your spirituality then. Yeah. And you ask about relationships. That was a nightmare until uh, I met Lenny or one girlfriend before that. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't function sexually. And not, not much more to say about that. It's all outlined mm -hmm. in the book. But it was horrible. And that was, I found out later, much later, that that was because of what happened in the theater. Right. If you were to give advice to anybody who has bipolar disorder out there who's struggling, what would it be? Well, the biggest thing is and that there's hope and that they can use my book to see that I was as bad as they've been, probably in a different way, but I got through it and they can too. There's all kind of help. Now, the medication for bipolar works 50% of the time. And that's all. I was one of the lucky ones that it worked for. So in the case of people who it doesn't work for, or the people who don't believe in therapy or they don't want to take medication or the medication just doesn't work. They've got to go through other therapies to help themselves to get ideas of how to treat or not treat, but get through all the bad things about bipolar. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that is one of the reasons I wrote the book, to help people. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, I'm never going to make a dime on this book. Oh, don't. I refuse that suggestion on your behalf. Come on now. We don't know that. (laughs) And that's one of the things we are wanting to promote, too. And because the book is very helpful to people, it not only tells your story, but how you were able to persevere through all of it and uh, come out on the other side. Yes, medication did benefit you, but there are things in the book that will help you to be able to Uh, come out on the other side, so to speak, uh, without medication as well, right? Right. Well, let's go ahead and view the book for just a second. We're going to go ahead and share our screen and we'll go ahead and see, well, we'll see you on Amazon first. This is the Amazon version of it. And yeah, so it's in paperback. There's the cover here. There's actually, you can look inside of the book. It's so cool when authors allow us to look inside and get a sneak peek at at the book. So so what did you, how did you come up with the name Teetering on a Tightrope? And then uh, we'll talk about the amazing graphic that you have there. Well, uh, we, my wife and I, and my daughter, um, we're trying to come up with a title and we got to the point because of the tremendous ebb and flow of bipolar disorder. It's up, it's down, it's all around. We wanted to do something for the title that would stress the ups and downs. My wife suggested uh, walking on a tightrope and its effect. Uh, my daughter, Carrie, said, what about a roller coaster? And mm-hmm. after discussing the two of them, we felt that teetering on a tightrope was a better image than a roller coaster. And so that's why we did that. And we felt that the graphic was important because it showed a guy struggling to get across a tightrope. And if you look in on the cover, no, on the... There it is. Yeah, yeah. It, if you look, I guess it's on the back of the book. It describes um the emotion of teetering and why we and how we picked it out um i love the graphic i had two more made and uh, they weren't nearly as good but this one is really pretty cool and i love the colors yeah they're good and then you'll see as you go through the book that it's all in chronological order and i get pretty um I only get graphic in a couple of places, but uh, I spill everything. So I hold nothing back. Yeah, all all of the details for sure. Yeah, so My Bipolar Journey, nice graphic, teetering on a tightrope. And you're also at Barnes & Noble, correct? Yes. 
Awesome. Yeah, let's see if we can share that. See if it's any different. That was an interesting presentation of that book. <laughs> so let's see what you got going on with Barnes and Noble. It looks pretty much the same, although they, did they have a look inside here? Yep, read an excerpt of the book. So that's the same sort of thing, Barnes and Noble, Cheating on a Tightrope. All right, anything else you wanna say about the book or yourself? It's been a lovely talk. It's been a really tough topic to talk about, but uh, you seem to really uh, be open about it and uh, really just kinda of wanna help people through yeah. it. And and, and tell people about your, your journey and uh, just be really open and honest and not hold anything back. <laughs> the, the only people I worry about reading it are my friends and my brother and sister uh, and my uh, immediate family. Um, they will learn a bunch of stuff about me that they had no idea what I went through. Yeah. But I am very good with the book being out. I didn't write it to make money. Uh, I wrote it to hope that people would uh, maybe make some changes in their bipolar life and really realize that someone, anyone who has it can, uh, can get better. Well, I will link the book in the description for this video and also some helpful information about bipolar disorder and some resources where people can find help as well as your book, Steve. Um, thank you so much for joining me on Calming the Chaos today. It's been really super cool to have you here. Thanks, Trace. I enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to Calming the Chaos podcast. You can find all Calming the Chaos podcasts on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Spotify, Amazon, and on YouTube. You can also go to www.calmingthechaospodcast.com for more information and to see all podcast episodes. Thanks so much for listening, and I look forward to sharing my next podcast episode with you. In the meantime, take care.